On this episode of the Deseret News Ute Insiders podcast, we look back at the bye week and ahead to Utah's game at Washington State. We hear from running back Zach Moss and defensive tackle Pete Tonga. Our Utah by Five segment features a visit with Larry Kostowiak, and we discuss his friendship with the late John Huntsman. Desert News columnist Doug Robinson joins us to talk about a recent article he wrote on former Ute Eric Weddle. This and more, including our Pac-12 South Pickums, on this edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. I'm Dirk Facer, longtime beat writer for the Utes, joined here today by Mike Sorensen, who's been at the paper forever in a day, and our resident millennial, Trent Wood. Just Good to love have you here, guys. So much. Hey, let's talk about the bye week Utah had. Uh, obviously, it was a time to heal some bumps and bruises, and I can think of nobody better than Britton Covey. Uh, do you think this was well-timed, just considering the physical play of that uh, Washington game? I mean, I saw him yesterday, and he seemed perfectly perfectly good. He seemed ready to go. Mike, what do you think? I mean, it, it's early in the season, obviously, but that may have been the most physical game of the season against Washington. Does it work out? Yeah, I think it was perfectly timed. In fact, that was Utah's best week of the year, wasn't it? They're, they went undefeated, so I think that was a great uh, a great bye week slide. for him. You're right. <laughs> what, uh, what challenges do you guys see uh, ahead at Washington State? Obviously, losing your Pac-12 opener, you don't want to be in that 0-2 hole to start the year. Is that really the big story going into this week, uh, Trent? I mean, it has to be probably the biggest one. If they go down 0-2 and then they have to go to Stanford, which is arguably the best team in the Pac-12 right now, they could conceivably go to 0-3 in the conference, which is not a great start to the year. Mike, what do you think? Oh, it's obviously a huge game because, like you said, I mean, you you lose two in a row and you have a, a Stanford coming up and a couple of tough games after that. I mean, you know, that's uh, it could be downward slide after that if they lose this week. It's really a key game. Is this a tougher game than maybe people thought going into the season? I mean, Washington State obviously has that prolific offense, but they're playing some good defense now, and, and they put a big scare into USC last week. Well, and nobody thought they had a quarterback. I know Mike Leach seems to grow them out of the ground, but they have this transfer from East Carolina who looked great against USC. All of a sudden, their offense continues to play well. They're a better team than people thought. Mike, should they have beat USC? Uh, yeah, I saw most of that game, and I think, you know, they had them. They seemed like they had them in the second half. They just kind of let them, uh, the defense just couldn't quite hold on. But I agree that uh, Washington State, I think at the start of the year, fans might have just looked at that and said, there's, there's a win, you know, because they were picked for what fifth by a lot of people to right. finish and in they, the league? And they and lost Luke Falk. They lost and, their quarterback, and uh, but the thing is, you know, like you say, Mike Leach has a quarterback every year. He comes up with something, and he, you know, he has Utah's number too. You got to right. think about that. I mean, he's. I remember that first year back in 2012. They played up here. Do you remember that game and? Utah just, it was 49 to 6, and they just, uh, Ooh, I don't know what it was, a halftime. Wiped him out. I felt sorry for him. I thought, poor Mike Leach, he's got this <laughs> terrible program. And then two years later, Utah was up 21 nothing in the you know first quarter, and then they came back and beat him, and then he's beaten them three times in a row. So he's got Utah's number right now. He does. And any chance you guys think, I mean, they're. Next week, uh, the week after, obviously, there's they're playing at nationally ranked Stanford, maybe the best team in the Pac-12 in some people's eyes. 
any chance they look that far ahead or after the Washington game, there's no room for air to do that. I mean, you hope with the bye week they've been completely focused on Washington State. They've had multiple weeks to think about it. Mike, yeah. you think they're looking ahead to Stanford? No, there's no way. I mean, there's no no reason for them to look ahead at this point. I mean, if they were if they were three and zero, maybe you'd say, okay, they're three and zero. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. But after losing pretty handily to you know two touchdowns to Washington. This week they've got to just you know this that's all that matters they got to win this game and then you know after that then look at Stanford but if there's no way they can be looking past Washington State and I bet a million dollars if you ask Cal Whittingham who they play the week after Washington State what was it what would his answer be he'd say I don't know and I don't care (laughs) and I don't believe him (laughs) yeah exactly but that's what he'd say. Looking at the uh, situation in the Washington game, there was a lot of criticism that maybe Zach Moss didn't get enough touches. And we've talked about that a little bit. Jack- I mean, that's been a general theme all season, right? He, uh, I think he had 16 carries the first game, 16 the second, and 13 the third. So not a great amount of carries. Mike, what do you think? I think it's been kind of obvious, but I've kind of been taking the other tack over the week. I'm thinking maybe what Utah should do this week is everyone's been talking about give the ball to Moss, run the ball more, so maybe they can shock Washington State and come out <laughs> passing right from the start and do what they've been doing, you know, with uh, not, not running him as much as they should, and then they'll, they'll surprise him. Hopefully some receivers can catch the ball. That exactly, would be, that's that would the biggest problem right there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there's one guy who feels very confident he can, Zach Moss can carry the ball more often than he has, and that is... Zach Moss had a chance to catch up with him, and here's what he had to say about it. How are you feeling health-wise? Probably weren't 100% the last game, obviously, but what did the, how did the bye week help you? This helped me a lot. Uh, kept me off of the field a lot this week, I mean the bye week, and so my body feels a lot more energized than it did the first couple of weeks. Do you think you're ready to handle 20, 25 carries? That's why I came here. Are you getting a little, were you frustrated at all, or was it more just the way the game was being dictated that you weren't getting the ball as much as you like? Uh, I think both played a uh, part. Um, I tried not to get too, you know what I mean, too over myself or anything like that. But uh, I try to keep a level head as much as I can when other guys look at me to uh, make sure we're all focused on the same goal. It's interesting listening to that because Zach is probably the most confident player on that football team. He thinks he is the guy and he can do everything that they want him to do. He just hasn't been given the shot yet. And you know he's banged. You know he was banged up a little yeah. bit, and obviously I don't know if he could have carried the ball twenty to twenty-five times. But I know a lot of Ute fans think he he could ever maybe go to Armand Shine and just you know run the ball a little bit more. But uh, Mike, do you think the answer is running the ball? You talked about you know it would be nice for him to come out and throw the ball a little bit, but a good passing game begins with a good running game, doesn't it? Yeah, I really you know like I was being a little facetious on that, but they really do have to get the running game going because it's. Uh, they just uh, they just have to get Moss and Shine and whoever else uh, a little more consistent running, not kind of like uh, just here and there, and so they don't get their. They should get at least twenty, maybe you know you say twenty five, but when you get thirteen or sixteen, that's just not quite enough. Right, and then you know obviously the other things about the offense is the receivers need to catch the ball. Tyler Huntley needs to be more uh, consistent in all that he does. Actually, you know, managing the offense. Anything else with the offense you guys think needs to be shored up, or does that kind of put it in a nutshell? Well, the uh, the offensive line, you know, looked a lot better the last game than the first two, so they need to get, get some holes opened up and and then protect the quarterback, which they did a lot better against Washington than that Northern Illinois game. What six sacks was it? So they've got a you know Washington State does have a really good defense. You know, people they're a little underrated. So I think that uh, the offensive line's got to have another good game because they they've they haven't been living up to their potential so far this year on the whole. I don't think. 
Now, they may have fixed what was broken, but the fixes need to stay in place, right? Yeah, for sure. Defensively, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. And, uh, Chen, I know you had a chance to catch up with Peter Tonga. You know, a lot of people uh, talk about how he lost the handle of the ball after uh, the recovery. Um what did he have to tell you? Some interesting things. Yeah, I mean, his play in the Washington game was probably the play of the game when he intercepted Washington quarterback Jake Browning, and then when he was running the ball to the end zone, he fumbled it off himself. And he got railed on quite a bit by fans, especially on social media. He deleted his Twitter because it was so negative and not helpful. But I just talked to him, and he's ready to go, and he's excited about what the defense can do against Washington State. You know, and I, I had a chance to catch up with him. You know, Washington State's offense, you know, you think of a passing attack, but it's not the quarterback taking a couple steps back and chucking it downfield. They throw the ball to the running backs quite a bit. They throw a lot of screen passes. You know, it's almost a assignment football, Mike. Do you think that they uh, all levels need to, the defensive line needs to apply pressure? The linebackers need to do their thing that they've been doing. And it's not all on the DBs because a lot of these passes could be short, and you know. Screen passes and such. So, I mean, the whole defense has to be ready, don't they? Oh, yeah. And I think especially, you know, I talk about Utah does have an excellent defensive secondary. They say one of the best ever. But the thing is, if the defensive line isn't applying pressure, it's not going to make a difference. And I thought in that second half of that Washington game, did you notice how all of a sudden, I don't know if it was because just Morgan Scally unleashed them, but they were giving uh, pressure to, to Jake Browning that whole second half, and he was running for his life, which is when that ter- terrible interception to Peter Tonga came because he just threw it. But, you know, the four or five plays before that, he was running backwards. And I don't know if it's because, you know, the scheme was changed or these guys just got a little bit of extra energy, but they've got, you know, they're going to miss Lecky Fotu, who is one of the main guys doing that. He's going to sit out the first half, right, this week? Right, yeah. And so uh, you got Putu Tao and Penasini uh, and, and Tonga. Those are the guys inside, and they They've got to just apply that pressure. And, and this guy, you know, he's a great quarterback, but he's only been doing it, what, three or four games. So maybe they can rattle him a bit and then make him throw some some bad balls because if he just sits back there and has time, he's going to pick apart the secondary even as good as they are. Yeah, and, you know, Peter Tugov, he's an interception, and he's just been doing a great job starting. I talked to him a little bit about the Washington State thing and the challenges it offers and uh, – Here's what he had to say. Since they throw to the running back and stuff a lot, Chase was telling me last week, he said that the running game the running game is kind of their passing game. There's a lot of assignments here. Is this is this one eleventh football this week or what do you how do you defend the fact that they have so many guys that can catch the ball? It's like a big challenge, it seems like Yeah, yeah. It's definitely gonna be a big challenge. You know, Washington State's a really good team. Um, I just feel like if we if we just play sound, you know, I feel like uh, we trust our coaches and, and what they and, and that they have the knowledge to to show us the right plays and, and what to do in order to stop their their offense. I just feel like if we just trust them and do our job, we'll we'll be able to uh, have a good game against Washington State. But different challenge than you're used to, isn't it? Oh, for sure, for sure, it's a different challenge. You know, um, it's not the typical offense we're um, used to playing. You know, so. Um, we have to change things up, and we have to be able to adapt and, and play our defense. All right, we're back. We're going to switch gears to basketball for a minute. I had a chance to catch up with Utah basketball coach Larry Kristoviak for our, our Utah by Five segment, and he uh, talked about the memories he had of uh, his friend John Huntsman, who passed away last year. This will be the first time the Utes open the season without him, and uh, he had some very strong things to say. So you know what time it is, guys. What time, what time is, is it? it? Take it away, Tom Barberry. I'm Tom Barberry, and it's time for Utah by Five, where we catch up with the people who built the program we love. 
Well, Larry, thank you for joining us for this segment. Um, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with John Huntsman. I know you guys were very close, and it probably feels a little different going into a season without him. Well, yeah, John was one of the most amazing individuals I've come across in in my 53 years. And, you know, he touched so many people in so many different ways. Um, I think he's a prime example of being how how we should go about living our life. Him as a family man, him as a philanthropist, and certainly, you know, built into the fiber of, of the University of Utah in so many ways, and Utah athletics, and, you know, we play in an arena that we can all be super proud of that, you know, Bird and Magic played the championship game back in 1979 and uh, bears John's name, you know, and he made it his mission probably the second half of his life to try to figure out a way to find a cure for cancer. And now we've got just up above us here on campus, probably the finest cancer uh, research center and treatment center that there is on the planet. So he, you know, John's not with us physically any longer. And it's, you know, the timing is interesting for this podcast because he has his big gala, you know, to raise some funds for the cancer. And, and he's he's with us. I mean, he touched so many different people and our team has always been super close with. And, you know, we're going to carry on. I think that's the thing that John, John didn't just want to touch everybody while he was here on, on earth, but he wanted to teach us stuff. And I know I find myself, you know, in, in a common occurrence when you're trying to make a decision or go about your businesses, uh, you know, what would John do? And, and a lot of times John had it figured out, great friends and family. So, you know, we're, we're going to continue keeping his, keeping his lifetime achievements alive and well, and, uh, never going to, let that slip our minds. Larry, is there one thing when you think about John that, that comes to mind, maybe something that a lot of people don't know or something that maybe altered your relationship with him that formed a strong bond? Well, it was not necessarily one thing. I mean, I, I can remember just upon getting hired, John invited Dr. Hill and myself up for lunch and you know, I don't think friendships and relationships are something that happen, you know, at one particular point in time. I think it's something that's built over time. And the more time I spent with him and around him, you know, I just always remember you'd go up there and there's very little discussion about basketball. It was always about your family, what was happening with the Cancer Institute. He always, you know, was hoping that we'd get involved. A super humble, humble guy. I, I, you know, I found a new barber down in uh, Trolley Square and, um, you know, real unique guy that I love having conversations with. And then I come to find out he's a young guy that that was also John's barber. And then when you hear stories, um, you know, of their conversations, it didn't matter uh, where you came from, how you grew up, what race, what religion. John saw behind that all and had an incredible ability to just make connections with people. And um, the opportunity that I've had over the seven last seven plus years is something that I'll never forget, you know, and honored to have been a part of his family. And so, yeah, it's it was more kind of like John's story. And, and one thing that I heard at his funeral, his service um, through his family was he, he was always talking about going big. You know, that was the theme that I walked away from. You never would have guessed back when he started his his company that he was going to compete with the DuPonts and, the, and you know, the giants of the, uh, of the chemical world and the textile world. But, you know, he didn't have any fear of that. And I think that's something that he's kind of instilled in everybody. To, you know, you, you can't hit it out of the park if you don't step up to the plate. And, and that's that kind of enthusiasm, I think, was super contagious. 
So you heard how uh, Larry was talking about John Huntsman. John Huntsman's been a big basketball booster for the last uh, several decades. Of course, his name is on the arena. And uh, I covered Utah basketball for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And um, that t- during that time, Rick Majerus and him forged a very unlikely friendship. You know, you had this uh, son of a steel worker from uh, the Midwest and this millionaire philanthropist. And they were like, uh, I used to see them, you know, after practice sometimes, John would be uh, uh, talking on the phone to uh, to Rick or vice versa, you know, that they'd be talking to each other. In fact, one time I was by John and he got a phone call and he said, oh, just a minute, this is Rick, you know. And uh, so they had a very unlikely and uh, friendship that they forged over the years. And uh, and then I kind of, you know, when uh, after Rick left, John kind of kept kind of a low profile. I don't know if it was because he wasn't like didn't, you know, wasn't pleased with the program as much with the next two coaches. But since Larry came back, I think he came back in the program more, and they've, they've formed a very good friendship, and, and that's what's shown. And Larry talked about it several times last year, even besides like he did in this past interview. So uh, it's not going to be the same up there without John. I mean, he, he missed the last, obviously he died last season, but uh, not having John around is going to be a little different for Utah basketball. Yeah, and, you know, I know Larry took his death very hard. I think the Utes were on the road. If I remember right, I think they were in Colorado. I had a chance to speak with him uh, before the game, and Larry was, you know, really, really hurt by the loss. I mean, they were very close friends, and uh, doesn't surprise me he said the kind things he did in the interviews. Let's jump back to football and our good friend Doug Robinson here in studio with us. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dirk. Good to have you here. Hey, I've got to ask you a question as, as a guest. Are you familiar with Mrs. Cunningham on Happy Days, Marion Ross? Uh, yeah, I remember her. Do you vaguely. know what distinction she holds? No. I, I'm going to hit you with something here. She was the most frequent guest ever on the Love Boat, making 14 appearances. I did not know that. So I hope to have you on at least 14 times. That will be a stretch. That will be good. <laughs> hey, you got a chance to catch up with Eric Little of the Baltimore Ravens. Tell us a little about what you, uh, what you talked to him about. Well, I was just intrigued when I looked into his numbers, and I, I, I put together earlier uh, a couple weeks ago uh, a list of what I thought was the all-time all-NFL team from Utah college, colleges, and um, and I was intrigued by his uh, his numbers, and I gave him a call, and I caught him when he was driving to uh, – actually driving home from practice, and uh, he it's interesting. I think there are only a handful of Utah collegians who have ever had a better NFL career than he has – and yet you really don't hear a lot about him. He's quietly right. had this amazing career out of Utah, and uh, he's been a five-time All-Pro or five-time Pro Bowl player, two-time first-team All-Pro, and three-time second-team All-Pro. Right. And th- the most remarkable thing is he's 5'11", 200 pounds, nothing, nothing prepossessing about him, his appearance, and yet in this and, – and also playing strong, uh, free safety, the defensive backfield is – is probably is one of the most injurious positions you can play in football. That's that's been borne out in research, and yet he's missed seven games in eleven plus years. He's in his twelfth year now. Um, he's had eight seasons where he played all sixteen games, and uh, we were talking about this. And he he was uh, remarking how he gets up at five thirty in the morning and gets to the practice facility an hour and a half before his teammates and goes through this whole routine of working out before he even works out with the team, and he's done that. Uh, for 12 years, and he's tried to talk some teammates into joining him, but they don't want any part of it usually. And he thinks that's one thing that accounts for his longevity, that plus he's uh, he's just played through a lot of injuries. He says, if my legs aren't injured, I'm playing. Right. And uh, so he's played through a lot of 
upper body injuries and that kind of thing. But it's kind of an amazing, uh, he has amazing durability. It really is. You know, one thing I caught reading your article is that you know he treats every day like it's his last. Like, it's, and that's kind of life in the NFL. You never know when you're going to play your last game. Yeah, he said that uh, <clears throat> if I missed a game, and uh, somebody took my place and and uh, won my job, I'd never forgive myself. So that's kind of how he views it. He always views it. He's a day away from being cut. I don't know how much. Uh, you want to go into this, but when he when he came out of high school, he experienced some of that because as a junior, he was recruited by all the Pac-10 and Big 12 schools, and then and including Utah. When they saw the competition, they they dropped away. They said, "Well, we can't get him, so we're not going to pursue him." And then as a senior, he switched positions to quarterback on offense. He's playing both ways, and the, and the team didn't do very well, and all the interest faded. So Utah thought, "Well, we got a chance, so we got him." And, he, this will give you an idea of how he doesn't look the part. Right. Um, there's a quote in there about how uh, Urban Meyer, who was the head coach at the time, told Whittingham, are you sure about this guy? Um, and as Whittingham would recall later, um, he said there, there's, he looked like 10,000 other players. There's right. nothing uh, you know, that meets the eye that tells you he's this great football player. And he, he, he said, yeah, this is, he's the real deal. And, of course, he came and improved it. Yeah, I remember one of the first days of practice he had up at Utah, I spoke with him, and he told me that he was determined to prove those Pac-12 or Pac-10 schools at the time wrong, that he was going to make a name for himself and he was going to make it. Yeah. And, you know, you hear that from a lot of kids that age when they first get up to college and that, but, you know, he's he's remarkable from day one. I mean, he quickly earned some playing time and obviously developed into the player he is. And, you know, I have a lot of memories of Eric playing for the Utes and, and you know, one of them, obviously, they had a long winning streak snapped at TCU, and he was in a leadership role on the team, and he was out there pulling his teammates off the field at Fort Worth, you know, you know, go to the lock, let's go to the locker room, you know, and, you know, the John Beck thing, BYU. I mean, been kind of a class act at Utah, and he's been that way, and it's, it's too bad that he couldn't finish his career with the Chargers that things turned south there, because I think we'd hear more about him if he's out west, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, that was a bad... Uh... That turned into an ugly situation, but yeah, he he was an amazing football player at Utah, and I actually made a case for him being winning the Heisman Trophy. And there were actually a couple of coaches who said that. And of course, playing the position he does and playing in the Mountain West, he didn't have any chance at all and didn't get a single vote. But right. he was playing. Uh, he played like four positions on defense. Right. He played Wildcat quarterback, running back, uh, even threw some passes. Was the holder on kicks was a punt returner. Um, there was one game against the Air Force we played 90 plays, and the head coach after the game said, they're not they're uh, shortchanging you. They should uh, give you two scholarships. <laughs> um, he was an amazing football player. Um, I think he had five touchdowns running uh, the ball. He threw a touchdown pass, if I recall. He returned a, a fumble for a touchdown, a couple interceptions for a touchdown. Um, it was just it was a one-man team. Yeah, he was kind of a fearless guy. I think he came back for one of the spring games, was watching, and then he ended up going out on the field without a helmet and you know, wearing shorts and that and was running the ball with guys with full gear chasing him. You know, I read that in a guy. Dirk Facer story, actually, an old Dirk Facer story. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, he was, it was an alumni game, and he didn't have a uniform on. Somebody intercepted a pass, and he chased him all the way down the field without any uniform on. And uh, Whittingham was just sweating bullets. He said, I hope the Chargers aren't seeing this. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he was just a remarkable guy to work with, too. Very outgoing and, and respectful of the, the process. And, 
Did a lot of good things. Mike, do you have any memories of Eric Weddle? Just what you just said. I think that was one of the things I remember about Eric is that he was such a good guy. I talked to him several times, you know, interviewing him over the years. And, you know, I think the biggest memory I have is, I don't know if you guys remember this, and it's, I think it was his last game and uh, one of his last one or two games when he intercepted that pass and he had a full field in front of him uh, to, for a touchdown and he just put his knee down and stepped up and gave the ball to the ref rather than pour it on the other team because he just didn't want to make the other guys like, you know, he pouring it on. So no, A very heady guy, knows the game well. And Doug, I was just curious, you know, as you put that team together, I mean, the longevity of Eric Weddle may be matched by Alex Smith, you know, the fact that uh, – and Steve Smith and, and Steve quite Smith, a few, right. yeah. Um, in my mind, and I say this in the story, uh, there are only five players that have ever had better, and you have to go with the th- – there's a – interestingly enough, there are only three NFL Hall of Famers from this state, and there's one from each of the big schools, Utah State, Merlin Olson, Utah's Larry Wilson, the redoubtable Larry Wilson, who's right. amazing, and BYU Steve Young. And you could certainly argue that Todd Christensen should be – in fact, I wrote that column. I believe you did. Be I believe <laughs> well I did. done, yes. And then uh, Steve Smith is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and then there's Eric Weddle. His, his career has been amazing, and he, he's got a shot at that kind of being that kind of player too. Well, Doug, well done, Doug. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, our Pac-12 South Pick'ems. We'll look at the four games this week involving teams from the Pac-12 South. Uh, just a reminder, folks, if you want to get in the Pickums business yourself, DeseretNews.com, Grid Picks, you can win gift certificates, $250 grand prize, and it's free, which is my favorite price of all. Uh, UCLA at Colorado Friday night. Uh, Trent, how do you see that one? Colorado's got to win that. They haven't really beaten anybody this year. Nebraska's horrible. The other teams they play are horrible, but UCLA has looked Awful. So Speaking of horrible, yeah. Colorado's going to win it. Mike, what do you think? I would guess go with Colorado also. UCLA is, is terrible, and I don't see them getting any better, and it's on the road, so I, I can't see them having a chance of winning. So Colorado. I agree with both of you. Um, Oregon State and Arizona State, uh, another game with a horrible team in it, so I'm going <laughs> to take ASU, guys. I mean, I picked Oregon State over Arizona last week, and it was a miserable pick, so... Sun Devils all the way. Obviously, yes. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> okay. No controversy here. Hey, this next one's a big one because these are the two teams that were projected to battle the Utes for the Pac-12 South title. You got USC going to Tucson to take on Arizona. Um, Arizona may have righted the ship, but then when you're playing Oregon State, it's hard to say, I'm going to take the Trojans. What do you guys think? I'm going to go with the Trojans also. I picked them last week uh, over Washington State to come back after their miserable games before that. But I think they've started to right the ship a little bit. And Arizona is a good team, but I, I can't see. They still haven't, aren't using Tate like they should. I don't know what it, what's going on there. But right. I mean, but uh, unless, uh, unless something changes, I think USC should win this one. I don't want to pick USC. I hate USC, but USC is <laughs> going to win. Trojan fans, I'll give you his email, and you can go after Trent later. <laughs> uh, last game, guys, obviously Utah, Washington State, very pivotal. We've talked about it. Uh, Las Vegas has kind of gone back and forth. I know Washington State was the early favorite, and I think Utah's now a slight favorite to win the game. It's kind of a pick uh kind of a toss-up. Uh, Trent, how do you see it? I'm going to go with the Utes. I think that extra week of rest and Washington State coming off a close game in, in SC, I think Utah pulls it out. 
Mike, do they have to win this one? I think they have to, yeah. I think uh, I, I would. It's, uh, it would be easy to go with Washington State. They're at home, and they've been playing awfully well. Uh, I think uh, because of the desperation factor that uh, Utah will win this. What about you, Dirk? Well, you put a little pressure on I was hoping to sneak out the back door here. But uh, now I think Utah will win a close game. But, you know, they're going to have to score points. I did an article earlier this week, and I spoke of the fact that, you know, you have to score points to beat Washington State. And no team is – I think Utah averages 21 points a game. And I think only two teams since Mike Leach has been there have beat Washington State by scoring fewer than 21 points or 21 or fewer points. So – you know, obviously there's some games where, you know, you might, you know, we talked about that game where Utah blew Washington State out several years ago. They probably only needed seven points to win that game. But the fact is, you know, to get that comfort zone and uh, to turn the game around, they're going to have to score some points. So I'm going to take Utah, but, uh, boy, it's on the offense. And, and speaking of which, guys, uh, is the problem Tyler Huntley? Is, or is it the receivers? Is it the play calling? Is it a combination of things? I mean, what do you think needs to be rectified uh, for Utah's offense to get back on track or get on track maybe for the first time if you throw the Weaver game out? I think the easy answer is Tyler Huntley. Kyle talked about, Kyle Whittingham talked about how the quarterback position is by far the most important on the football team. So it's easy to point the finger at Tyler Huntley and say he's not accurate with the ball or he doesn't have touch on his balls or he doesn't run the ball well. There's lots of things you can point at. It's a, it's a whole team effort, though. I think they just have dropped the ball collectively as a group. Mike, how do you see it? I think a lot of it's on the coaching. You know, I think they need to be, be more consistent. And that. And to be more consistent, you kind of have to not have all these uh, fancy plays and stuff they've had in the past. And just kind of, you know, get going, get your running game going. And once that's going, then you can open up the game a little bit more rather than the other way around. And I think that uh, they, they have the talent to win, and that, that should be what they're trying to do. Yeah, and I agree. And I don't think it's all on Tyler Huntley. I think it's a combination of things. And season's early. A lot of things can get better. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see the offense improve. And, and like you said, Mike, maybe by simplifying things and not having so many different personnel groups and that, that things will get better. And that's... Uh, I know that's the hope of Utah fans as the season progresses. Uh, just a reminder, basketball starts this week. Uh, media day is uh, Wednesday. It was Wednesday. And then... Uh, Practices begin later this week. Uh, just a, a quick synopsis. I know we're all still learning a little about this team with all the nine newcomers and the changes in that, but uh, there seems to be some optimism up on the hill that this is, uh, Larry Kostroviak told me that this is one of the most athletic teams, if not the most athletic team he's had, and he's excited about that. Uh, you guys ready for basketball, or should we just plow through football and we'll get to that? Well, it's kind of odd. It's September still, and you know, <laughs> I, I remember back uh, for you know, 30 years, uh, October 15th was a magic date, and they couldn't do anything before October 15th, and they'd have a big midnight madness at some places, and Utah would have a, a night sometimes, but uh, now they've been practicing for a few weeks, and, uh, you know, and they still have uh, another three or four weeks before the, before the season starts, so they, it starts a lot earlier all the time, and I think Utah will need it this year, because it's, I looked at the roster, and I only recognize about five guys that are coming back from last year or something. So it's going to be a totally new team. I'll put it this way. If the Utes win against Washington State, we're going to talk about football. If they lose, let's go to basketball. <laughs> you got it. And folks, stay tuned. We're going to cover basketball just like we do football, and uh, we'll get your fix for you. Again, thank you for listening. And just a reminder that you can pick up our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, DeseretNews.com, and we do appreciate you listening. Thank you.